Hello everyone, Al from Point of Insanity Game Studio, coming at you with another episode of Geekery in General. Today's topic is Robotech Revisited. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit about what made me decide to do this topic. We live in a wondrous time. I love things like Netflix and Hulu because not only have they helped my family save some money because we cut our cable TV, but it also has given me the opportunity to go back and watch some of the TV series that I used to watch as a kid and even catch some uh, series that I wanted to try to catch, but I didn't get a chance to watch them. For example, one of them, uh, Transformers Beast Wars. I never got to see it uh, back when it first came out, but you know, then again, I wasn't really as much into Transformers then. But the reason I decided to do this show is one of the series that I just recently finished watching was Robotech. And, you know, it was interesting watching it as an adult versus how I watched it when I was a kid. Now, I loved Robotech when I was younger. And if you were to go back to 1985 and ask my 10-year-old self, if you could be anything in the world, what would it be? I probably would have given you one of two answers, either a Jedi Knight or a Veritech pilot. Because back then, I was really into Star Wars, and I was also really into the Robotech cartoons as well. And the Veritechs, I just thought those were so amazing back when I was a kid. And at least until the release of the uh, third season of Robotech, then all of a sudden the Cyclones became my favorite uh, vehicle of choice. So yeah, I probably would have decided to be a Cyclone pilot if I could as well. So going back to those that time, I remember one of the things we saw quite a bit of were robot and mech-based forms of entertainment. Because not only did we have Robotech, but we also had Transformers, and we also had Voltron, uh, both the the Lion version of Voltron and then the the vehicle Voltron, which, as we talked about on a, one of our shows many, many episodes ago, was actually from a totally different series it's just that they brought it into the Voltron universe. And, you know, we actually did quite a bit of that back then where you had these cartoon series that were popular in Japan. And when they brought them over to the U.S., they made various changes for one reason or another. And going to get into that a little bit more in just a moment. Now, in addition to Voltron and Robotech, uh, we also had Transformers and another uh, series that I think began around this time. I'm not sure, but I think this is about the time that the Gundam series came over to the States as well. And then later, as we started to get into the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I believe that's when uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers started to appear as well. And even though... Uh, there was a bit of a focus more on their martial arts in that one. They also had their combining robots in that particular series as well. And, and again, now that I think about it with 
Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, that's another example of a series where the it was taken from a popular Japanese series, and then when they brought it over to the U.S., again, lots of changes were made to it. But to get back to Robotech, the uh, Robotech series that we got was actually three totally unrelated series in Japan. The first one, Robotech, was based off of a series called Super Dimension Fortress Macross. The second part was based off of a series, Super Dimension Cavalry Southern Cross. And then the final part of the series was based off of another series called Genesis Climber Mospedia. So the series were brought over by a man named Carl Masick. And the reason that they took these three series is because they wanted to have a new cartoon series to uh to you know to air however they each of these three individual series were not long enough for syndication so they basically took these three unrelated cartoons and rewrote the script so that they would all form a continuous story and that's how we got robotech which of course kicked off a few other movies though i haven't seen any of those so right now i'm just going to be focusing primarily on the original robotech cartoon series that we got though i'm sure there's people they would say that it was pretty much just one big long toy commercial kind of like a lot of the other series that were popular back then because just to give you a little bit of background there was a time where on American television, you couldn't make commercials marketed directly towards children. But back around the early 80s, that restriction became quite a bit relaxed. So you would have all these toy commercials that would appear during these these shows. And of course, a lot of people, like for example, the 1986 Transformers movie, there were people that it was basically just a big 90-minute long toy commercial because what they did is they basically destroyed a lot of the old characters and introduced new ones, which, of course, new toys. Robotech was no exception in that there was a huge toy line. And there were also a few other uh, things that were done to capitalize upon the popularity of, of Robotech in addition to a Robotech comic, there was also another series called Robotech Defenders. Now, Robotech Defenders was a series of model kits released by a company called Ravel. And I actually had a couple of these old model kits, though I don't think I managed to successfully put them together. And there was a comic book series that spun off of it, which unfortunately didn't do very well. Now, the Revel models had nothing to do with the Robotech comic series. I mean, there was a couple of models they did release um, of the Veritech fighter, but most of the other robots in there were from one of two other uh, cartoon series. One was called Super Dimension Century Argus, and the other... 
Fang of the Sun Dogram. And I may be mispronouncing those. So, like in my historical gaming episodes, I'm probably going to be uh, doing a lot of mispronunciation here. <laughs> now, exactly the concept of Mecca is a quite a bit older than you might think it is. Well, it started to get popular back in the early 80s. If we take a look at Mecca as being vehicles that are piloted by people that, you know, aren't your traditional, you know, like a car or a plane, we can look to the late 1800s. There was a Jules Verne novel written back in 1880 called The Steam House that had a mechanical elephant that someone piloted. A more well-known example is arguably the tripod fighting machines from H.G. Wells's novel, The War of the Worlds. The whole idea of giant robot mecha, that started to take off in the uh, in the mid-1950s with some of the Japanese comics and that were coming out back then. One early innovator of this new genre was Go Nagai, and the thing that inspired him is he said that he wanted to create something different, and he thought it would be cool to have a robot that you could pilot kind of like a car. And, well, his idea took root, and soon then eventually we had all sorts of different series, all uh, focusing on this idea of these humanoid or transforming machines that were piloted by people. Well, when Robotech came over to the U.S., the first part we got was based on Super Dimension Fortress Macross, and this is actually probably my second favorite of the three series. Now, as I mentioned before, the three different sections of the Robotech series were unrelated. And that was one of the things that was interesting going back and watching these as an adult, because as a kid, as far as I knew, they were just one big long cartoon series that the kids in Japan got to watch. But obviously, it now I know it's not. <laughs> so that's one of the things that made it, well, I'm, I'm not saying it ruined it for me, but going back and watching uh, part two and part three, it, it still kept, I had that thought in my mind that I remembered, okay, these are not actual, you know, these aren't related to the uh, the first part. They're totally different. So it's kind of fun to think, well, okay, maybe what was the plot of the original version compared to what they did with it when they brought it over to Robotech. One of the things that I liked so much about the first series is there were some characters in there that you could really look up to. And I think a lot of kids my age back then who were into this, Rick Hunter was probably one of our favorite characters. He was one of our boyhood idols. So while some kids maybe looked up to Luke Skywalker or Optimus Prime or Hulk Hogan. For me, it's like Rick Hunter. That's who I want to be when I grow up. One of the things that was I always thought was fascinating about his character is 
he's probably one of the first examples of a love triangle that I ever saw. But, of course, back then I didn't know what a love triangle was. Because he was torn between his affections for two of the other main female characters in the show. The first one was Lisa Hayes. And, of course, they didn't really start off on very good terms, but eventually this love started to form between them. The other was a singer named Lynn Minmay. And finally, at the end of the series, spoiler alert, he finally ends up going with Lisa because it turns out that Lynn Minmay, she had a little bit more growing up to do because she wasn't quite sure that she really wanted to be married and get into a a relationship like that. So uh, Lisa was a bit more committed. And looking back, one of the things that I find fascinating, not only about the first Robotech section of the Robotech cartoon, but the entire series is we see this common theme of of this class of cultures. Because one of the main uh, points in the first part of Robotech is that you had the the Zentradi, this alien race, and things like love, romance, uh, music, those were unknown in their culture. They were primarily this warrior race. And they actually found a way to use that against the Zentradi because they found out that, or the, the Robotech force found out that Lin Minmay's singing had a pacifistic, pacifistic, Okay, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Basically, when some Zentradi heard her music, they they lost their will to fight, and they became a lot less violent. And this is one of those things, looking back, is kind of creepy if you think about it. I remember there are scenes where they had these Zentradi, these huge, tall humanoids. They were obsessing over these little musical Lin Minmay toys. Speaking with Lin, of Lynn Minmay, another one of the things that was kind of creepy looking back is she had her cousin Kyle, and they acted in movies together, and there were some talks of them getting married. So I don't know if this was a mistranslation or um, if it's something that the, the people who are writing the American version of Robotech decided, hey, let's have these two cousins that people think are going to get married. But okay, that creepiness aside, there's a couple of things that I thought were kind of funny. Uh, one of the main characters in the Macross series is a Zentradi pilot named Miria. And she's sent as a spy aboard the uh, ship, the SDF-1. And I remember there was a scene where she was in a, a, an arcade and she thought that the reason that these humans got so good at combat was by playing video games. Also, the Zentradi were watching uh, one of the movies that Lin Minmay and her cousin had acted in, and they thought that was actually real, because in their particular culture, they didn't have movies. And there was this one scene where uh, Kyle was... Uh, taking down this huge giant using uh, mystical techniques that you might see in a a street fighting video game. And again, they thought that was actually real. So 
and and again, that's one of the things we see in some a couple of the other ones as well. But I thought that Macross did end rather well for that part because you know again you had uh you had the love triangle was broken. Rick was going to go with Lisa, and Lynn Min May realized that she kind of had some growing up to do, and uh, also Miria she had married Max Sterling, one of Rick's uh, friends, and eventually they had a little girl named Dana who would go to star in the second series, which was called Robotech the Masters. Now in the first part, they would talk every now and then about the Robotech Masters. We weren't really sure who or what they were, but we knew that they were the ones who created this Robotechnology. Now, also in the first series, we learn about this energy source they use called protoculture. And that turned out to be fairly important in the second one as well. Now, for me, I guess the reason that the second series... Okay, if Macross is my second of the favorite, or my second favorite of the three different series, Southern Cross... Robotech the Masters is my least favorite. I think part of it is just the... Since that series focused primarily on tank-based combat, it felt out of place when compared to the first one. And when you look at the, the three series as a whole, it really seems a bit out of place. So this one stars... Dana Sterling, again, the daughter of Max and Miria. And she's a young, somewhat brash commander of one of these cavalry legions. Now, honestly, I didn't find a lot of the characters in the second part to be very memorable or exceptionally likable. I mean, Dana Sterling not really was very much for that particular character, she was kind of this, yeah, she was a leader and a skilled fighter, but she was also kind of immature at times. Um, also, she had kind of this conflict going with her because, again, she was afraid that she wasn't going to step out of the shadow of being the daughter of these two great war heroes. Now, the only other character in there that I found particularly be memorable and likable was probably Bowie Grant. Now, Bowie is one of the soldiers under Dana's command, and he was more or less forced into the military. But what I find so fascinating about the character of Bowie Grant is he's pretty much a pacifist. Even though he knows how to fight, and he can hold his own, he really doesn't like war. And his real passion is music. So even though he's this good fighter, he's actually a really good piano player as well, and that did cause a little bit of conflict here and there in the series. This love of music, though, did allow him to make contact with one of these aliens named Musica. Now, in the Robotech Masters series, there's a lot of action that takes place on this battleship out in space that the Robotech Masters are carrying and that they're in control of. And they have this 
young lady named Musica who plays this special harp, and they use that to keep the Zentradi clones um, in, you know, in control of them. And when uh, the crew is, when the uh, characters are lost on this ship, um, Bowie happens to uh, find this room where Musica is playing, and they form this bond over their love of music. Other than those two, the only other character that was kind of memorable, I think his name was Louis or Louis. He was he had the big glasses, and he was more or less just the tech nerd of the group. Now, there were Veritech-like fighters in Southern Cross, or I'm sorry, not Southern Cross, uh, Robotech Masters, but they weren't as cool or they weren't as aerodynamic looking as the as the Veritex from Macross. But one of the other reasons that I guess I never really got into Masters, not just the lack of really memorable or likable characters, the pacing seemed kind of off on this one. Um, also, it didn't really end on a very positive note. I guess in a way you could compare it to the Star Wars trilogy. Episode 4 ends on a positive note, you know, because we've got, you know, the the Rebel Alliance has managed to destroy the Death Star, which is going to be a serious blow to the Empire. And not only that, um, the, you know, Luke and Han and Chewie, they're, uh, you know, being recognized for their bravery. Empire Strikes Back did end on a bit of a less optimistic note. The same thing, really, with the Masters. Because at the end of this series, you've got the surviving clones that are trying to escape from the flagship after they're fighting against the Robotech defenders. Um, Also, we find out that Dana has this vision of a younger sister that she didn't know that she had. Uh, and they warn, she warns her about the Invid, which are the primary antagonists in the next segment. But as it ends, the, the Robotech Mastership is destroyed. And it's, after it self-destructs, the explosion spreads the uh, spores from these flowers that played an important role in the, the next series all over the planet, which is what is going to attract the Invid in the uh, final part of the Robotech series. Well, this brings us to the third part, Robotech, the new generation. And I'd have to say that of the three parts of the Robotech series, this is my favorite. I did like what they did with the story, but I guess the real reason that I did like the this series, or this part of the series, I thought they had some really likable, really uh, interesting characters in this particular part of the Robotech saga. Now, in The New Generation, uh, it takes place quite some time after uh, Robotech the Masters, and much of the planet has been taken over by the Invid. And the Robotech Expeditionary Force... They're somewhere off in space, but the, one of these divisions comes to try to liberate the Earth from the, the Invid. And most of them are annihilated except for the main character, Scott Bernard. And 
he is trying to assemble a team of freedom fighters. Uh, through the series, he's really haunted by the memories of his fiance Marlene, who was uh, killed in the battle. But the thing that was really interesting about this particular part is you had the invid they were uh, essentially enslaving the earth and making people work on protoculture farms and for the most part as long as people stayed in line they wouldn't try to, to harm them so all through the series scott and his team never really know who they can trust because there are some people in this new world that would try to sell them out to the to the invid. But Scott does attract a team of interesting characters. Uh, first, he meets Rand. He was always one of my favorite characters. He was a he was a Boy Scout basically. He you know was very skilled in uh, survival. He was a scout and. He was also a bit of a history buff as well. So in some regards, you can almost say he's kind of like a, a Mary Sue or a Gary Stu type character. He's this young, inexperienced, but very energetic foil to the more experienced, more serious character of Scott Bernard. They also meet another a soldier who was named Lancer. But when you first meet him... Well, he's a cross-dresser, actually. Well, kind of a cross-dresser. Because when you first meet him, he's performing in a nightclub disguised as a woman with the stage name Yellow Dancer. And later you find out that uh, the reason he was disguised like this is because um, he was a soldier and there were some people that were looking to turn over soldiers to the invid. So he disguised himself as this female singer, Yellow Dancer, as a way to hide. And it's funny because Rand, he was a huge fan of Yellow Dancer. And then when he finally finds out that Yellow Dancer is actually a male, well, yeah, he his, his poor guy's hopes just kind of crash and burn. They also meet another uh, character named Rook. And... She's also a, a, a cyclone pilot. Talked a little bit about it before. The cyclones were these motorcycles that when you wore this special suit, you could have it form this battle armor around you. And uh, you find out that Rook, she's this tough character, but she does have some of those uh, feelings of abandonment because of some of the things that happened with the, the gang of bandits that she used to be with. Another one of the characters we meet is Lunk. And I like Lunk because even though he kind of comes off as this big dumb oaf, he's actually quite intelligent and a very skilled mechanic. And uh, he plays a very important role in a couple of the episodes, especially when his technical uh, know-how was needed. Then finally, there was Annie. And... Well, she's a little 13-year-old girl that's obsessed with getting married. So, again, that's kind of creepy in some spots there. And even though she doesn't really do much direct fighting, she does help with uh, several points during the story where they pretty much probably couldn't have escaped or they couldn't have succeeded without her help. 
Now, again, we expand upon the whole idea of the culture clash because the uh, gang of freedom fighters here, they eventually meet up with a mysterious woman who Scott names Marlene uh, after his deceased fiance. And you find out that she's actually uh, one of these invid that uh, when she was placed on Earth to try to, you know, blend into this, the, the native life form, she didn't really uh, mature properly, I guess you could say. So she doesn't really have any memories. And she does have one useful ability, though, that ends up helping the, the team out a lot is she can sense when the invid are near. So in this particular part of the series, it was different from the others because the heroes in this one, they couldn't take the direct approach where they just go in with guns blazing because, first of all, they were often short on fuel, on protoculture. Also, they were generally outnumbered. Now, another one of the things that made it challenging for them is the Invid could track them by uh, protoculture. So whenever they were using their cyclones or their transforming fighter jets in this series, the Invid could always track where they were because they could sense the use of that protoculture. So all in all, I'd have to say that's one of the reasons that the third one is probably my favorite. Not only did it have the more likable characters, but they were also under some uh, more challenges because they were almost like a party in uh, D&D where they had to always be mindful of their rations and their supplies and such. So the third series, another one of the things we see throughout this one is we do always, they always do refer to Rick Hunter because they mention that he did take a Robotech expeditionary force to try to uh, locate the Robotech masters and hopefully find out why exactly they had this interest in Earth and destroy them if the, if need be. So again, even though they always refer to Rick Hunter, he never actually makes an appearance in this part of the series. So if we go back to the Star Wars analogy, Empire Strikes Back ended on a less optimistic note. Return of the Jedi ended on a happy note, as did the final part of the Robotech series, because in this one, the Invid have finally decided to leave the Earth, and that was important because uh, the Robotech expeditionary force that was around the planet were considering nuking the Earth to save it from the Invid, if that makes sense. But uh, the... After the Invid leave, then this allows people to finally continue on with their lives, and it ends with Scott flying out to try to find out what happened to Rick Hunter. So all in all, probably one of my favorite cartoon series of all time. And again, when I look back at it as an adult, I think I appreciate some of the messages they had where they were talking about, you know, this culture clash especially in the first one we're on with the Zentradi, where, you know, again, they didn't know about things like war. Or, I'm sorry, they only knew about war. They didn't know about things like, you know, love or compassion, or uh, e they didn't even really have a concept of a family. So as, as of today's date, 
Uh, I'm recording this on May uh, 10th. Robotech is still available on Netflix, and I, I know it does become unavailable every now and then, but it, it's come back. So if you have a chance, go back and check it out, uh, especially if you're like me, where you originally saw it as a kid, and maybe you want to go take a look at it now with adult eyes. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget to visit Point of Insanity Network on Facebook, where you can not only get updates on geekery in general, but also some of the other shows on our, that we are currently offering, like Musically Challenged, Want to Hear Something Interesting, and Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? You can download other episodes on poigamestudio.podbean.com. So with that said, thank you for tuning in. Have a good morning or evening or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.